The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Month of November and the month of December, what we do is we say, What can we do, God? We are specifically praying in a particular way to go, God, what can we do to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings so that way we can give to this idea of God's great commission? And so this year, the theme is going to be called Sent into the World, and it's going to come from this verse specifically in John 17, verse 18. Where Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, he's praying in John 17. So Jesus is praying, talking to the Father. So you have God the Son cloaked in flesh. He's talking to God the Father through prayer. Jesus says, as you, Father, sent me, the Son, into the world. Jesus then says, so I have sent them into the world. The them in that that last part are you and me, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, God, you sent me into the world. I'm sort of the model here of what it looks like to be sent into the world to be a proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And Jesus turns and then prays for those who would be saved, those who would be redeemed, saying, just as, Father, you've sent me, so I am sending them. See, it's crucial for us to remember this when it comes to the gospel spreading in this earth, to be a follower of Christ means that you are a missionary for Christ. To have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb is to be one sent out to tell others how they can be washed clean of their sins by the blood of the Lamb. There is no no distinction between the two. To be one is to be the other. To be a follower is to be a sent one. And so today what we're going to be doing is specifically just turning our idea to this prayer for missions And you can see it up on the screen there. God loves to save sinners. And the way we think about missions here at our church is we think about it locally, nationally, and we think about it globally. And what you need to know is that God is actively working in this world through people like you and people like me by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you were redeemed by Christ, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence inside you. And when you go and read the book of Acts, what you find are ordinary people empowered by the extraordinary Holy Spirit to go do extraordinary things here in this world. And so this means that God delights to use ordinary people like you in order to do the extraordinary through you. And so today we're going to have a guest preacher come, and his name is going to be Dave Andreessen. Here in a couple minutes we're going to introduce him And I've asked him to come because all of us are missionaries in this world. He's working out his call as a missionary in the neighborhood of Avondale up in the Chicagoland area as a church planner. But the temptation is for us to look at someone like Dave and look like someone like Kirsten and go like, well, these are obviously the missionaries. They're the ones that are doing missions because look at what they're doing in the Chicagoland area. But we often forget that you are also a missionary because you're just simply a follower of Christ people are going to be reached for Jesus in your neighborhood because you are the missionary in that neighborhood. People are going to be reached for Jesus at your workplace because you are the missionary at your workplace. To put it another way, your workplace is not filled with an unreached people group because you're there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray specifically along the lines of what you see there. We're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to give you boldness to speak the gospel of Jesus as one who is sent into the world. And so I love what Tom says here. This isn't an opportunity for you to take a quick nap while I'm praying for, for us. 
This is an opportunity for you to actively engage the Lord in prayer as I lead you in prayer. So let's pray and take this idea to the Lord that we need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to speak the good news of Jesus because we are sent ones in this world. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, you are good and you always do good. And in your goodness, you have sent your son to seek and to save the lost. And we are here this morning as those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been cleansed of our sins. Many of us here this morning have turned in repentance and faith. We have turned from our sin. And we are now trusting in Jesus Christ alone as our only hope of salvation. We are trusting in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God, we are here saying you have saved us. And we say thank you, Father, for opening our eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ giving us the gift of faith so that we may repent and believe in your Son. But God, my prayer is that you would help us to see that because these realities are true of us, that we would not divorce them from the reality that to have been saved by Christ is to be sent by Christ. God, send us out boldly into our workplaces, boldly into our neighborhoods, boldly into our families, so that we may be those empowered by the Holy Spirit, taking those opportunities that you're making around us all of the time. God, we confess it's not an issue of, God, please make as, as, as if you make sometimes opportunities and sometimes you don't make opportunities. Guys, you're constantly making opportunities around us all the time to be able to proclaim Christ. Help us to be bold by the power of your Spirit to take those opportunities when they come to simply faithfully, courageously speak as we ought to speak as those who are ambassadors, witnesses, sent ones for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we need you to do this. Energize us by the Spirit so that as we go out in this coming week, we would be those walking as those on mission. It's in your powerful name. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there is no dismissing of the herd today. On the fifth Sunday, we give a break to our, um, our herd workers. And so if you are a little one that would normally leave, um, I, usually they're sitting in the back on um, some crowns and some pencils and those sorts of things if you don't have some of those already for your family. Um, Dave, why don't you go ahead and come on up, and then Miss Jan Cheshire is going to come and read the Scripture for us. Our scripture reading this morning is from John 10, verses 7 through 10. In the Black Pew Bible, um, on your chair, it's on page 896. So please stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. John 10, 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. I want to give you guys just a quick introduction to uh, this man right here. So this is Pastor Dave Andreessen, um, and he is planting a church up in the Avondale neighborhood of the Chicagoland area. Um, our paths crossed a handful of years ago, um, and I know that uh, that was sort of Delta's connection was through Charles Campbell and IBSA and these, these sorts of things, and Charles is working for our state association. Um, Dave's family is right up here in the front row. So you got Kirsten and they got three boys, Abner, Abraham, and Azariah. And so if you guys can come uh, down after the service, want to say hello to them and just let them know you're praying for them. Um, we love the kind of work that Dave is doing up in the Avondale area. Um, Chicagoland area, if, if you're just not quite aware, it's, it's, it's hard soil. Um, and there's a lot of gospel seeds being sown in the Avondale neighborhood, but it's an area where there's just going to be a lot of work and a lot of prayer, a lot of um, prayer equity going into the gospel seeds that are being sown there. But I've asked this brother to come down today on the, on the, the launch day of our Great Commission offering to preach to us on just this idea of missions. And so what I want to do is just pray for this brother here. Um, I love him uh, greatly, and so I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say from John John chapter 10, and then he's going to take off and preach to us. Father, I'm thankful for the word that's about to be proclaimed. God, our simple confession is this, that our message and our speech, it is not in words of wisdom. It's not in words of wisdom. We don't come with lofty speech and powerful words as though we own the power within ourselves to change the hearts of men and women. We don't, we don't own that power. But what we do come is with humility. My brother comes with humility. He comes with a confession. Lord, I am weak, and that is why Christ is strong in him. And God, I pray that you would use my brother here as a vessel empowered by the Holy Spirit who will speak powerfully, not because he is great, but because Christ is great in him. And so that as we leave here today, we would know that we have witnessed God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, demonstrating the very power of God himself. God, do this through the preaching of your word now. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Delta Church, it's, it's glad, I'm glad to be here. It's nice to be here. I hope you're going to get some of the best sleep you've ever got this morning. I'm just joking. But in all seriousness, now's the time to get your phones out. If you forgot to invite someone this morning, now's when you tweet something or Facebook something and say, hey, I'm at Delta Church. Man, I messed up. I should have invited you. Next week, will you join me? So if you want to get your phone out and do that right now, otherwise, uh, every time I see your phone out, I'm going to get on my phone. It's right up here. So I'll be live tweeting as I preach. Point one, finished. Point two, uh, no, it's a joy to be here. It really is a joy to be here. I had the privilege the last, this uh, past week of going to Puerto Rico to work with uh, the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief or Send Relief. I just got back Friday night at 10.30 and then uh, woke up just like a zombie. <laughs> it's completely wrecked. I couldn't get a direct flight. Uh, flights out of Puerto Rico are, 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 are they're a mess. 
uh, tens of thousands of people leaving Puerto Rico every day. People who are on the edge, uh, now uh, their, their place of employment has been wiped out. There's, not power, there's no power. Uh, there's not running water. And so many people, they're literally abandoning their cars at the San Juan airport, uh, leaving it, the car alone, everything, and they're flying out. So at the airport four hours early, couldn't get a direct flight back. So that meant flying east to St. Thomas four-hour layover, and then to Miami, three-hour layover, and then to Chicago. So it was a 19-hour day, but I did take advantage, Saints, I did take advantage of the four-hour layover in St. Thomas, and I walked to the beach, and I swam for an hour. So uh, that was nice. The whole time I was there, I was thinking, you can't miss your flight, Dave, because that's going to be an awful call you got to make to Pastor Jonathan. (laughs) So... I set like 20 alarms on my phone. My phone's in my boot. He's texting me. I'm, I'm, I'm in St. Thomas, you know, wearing my swimming trunks. Yeah, I'll be there Sunday. So, so and I was wondering, I wonder if anybody could cover his pulpit if, if last minute I, I had to text him. So I uh, had a wonderful time in Puerto Rico. Listen, I, I know that uh, it is hard nowadays to keep up with the number of, of natural disasters that occur uh, the terrorist acts that occur. We're inundated with that stuff. And I, I, I have um, disagreed with many people in the past who have said, oh, the world is no more wicked than it was 20 or 30 years ago. We're just aware of it now because of social media and the like. 20, 30 years ago, I was consuming local, national, and global news. I might have had to read, read, read the New York Times. Uh, I, I think the world is increasingly wicked. And uh, and and as as we see these awful acts, and as we see nature groaning for the return of Christ, um, uh, these the, these um, natural disasters and terrorist acts they provide an opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ, I think, to shine in this dark world like it's never shined before. So that's why I went to serve as a chaplain with sin relief, but also to just get dirty and do whatever needed to be done, was able to connect with a number of pastors and church planners there that I'll be sharing with uh, our state association. We're praying that uh, the state would partner with a couple church planners in Puerto Rico so that we might pray, provide, and participate. And so that was a wonderful time and uh, got up Saturday morning and drove drove here. And so now here we are before you. So it is a blessing to be here. Those of you who aren't aware uh, Avondale, yeah, there are 77 communities in Chicago, 228 neighborhoods within the 77 communities. It's a pet peeve when people say there are 228 uh, uh, communities or there are 77 neighborhoods. Community is the larger designator. There's 77. They were defined based off of race many years ago. We'll put the polls here. We'll put the checks here. We'll put the suites here. And within the 77 are 228 neighborhoods. Avondale, uh, Addison Avenue is our northern border. If you take it two miles east, that's Wrigley, Wrigley Field, where the Cubs almost made it. But I guess we'll have to wait another 109 years. So, um, and then Diversity Avenue. So Diversity and Addison. I-94 cuts through us. If you're, if you're coming from the south and going to O'Hare, uh, Diversity, Belmont, Kimball, Addison, that, that's all the Avondale neighborhood. So seven years ago, nobody heard of the Avondale neighborhood. Uh, two weeks ago, it was ranked one of the top 10 up-and-coming hottest neighborhoods in the nation, which is like blowing me away. Resurrection City Church is the only SBC church. Our neighborhood is two square miles, and there's about 43,000 image bearers. And at that, we're really honestly the only healthy English-speaking, gospel-proclaiming evangelical witness. There are 22,800 city blocks in Chicago, 22,800 
city blocks, and I'm convinced we need 22,800 missionaries. We think about 600 people live on our block where my house is at, and that's nothing because thousands live on other blocks. I think there could be a church on every block, every corner, and so that's what we try to do with our home and one of our ways to reach the 43,000 people in our neighborhood. So uh, if you weren't aware, Chicago proper is about 2.7 million. All of Chicago land is about 9 million, and we only have 14 million in the state of Illinois. So 9 million concentrated in Chicago land. We think out of that 9 million, it's about 5% evangelical. Chicago proper, 2.7 million, we think is about 2% evangelical. And I'll throw something else at you. One-fifth of Chicago is foreign-born. One-fifth of Chicago's 2.7 million, about 600,000, is foreign-born. What does that mean? It means the nations live in our neighborhoods. So we've been blessed uh, to partner with Delta Church. You guys have come up a couple times. You've blessed us financially. And so we consider you a, a partner church of ours. Uh, listen, church plants are, are, are like babies. Charles Campbell will tell you that. Um, really, I view my job with eternity in mind. I'm just pouring concrete. That's all Kirsten and I are doing. We're just pouring concrete, trying to lay a foundation for a church that lasts long, long after we're gone. What is concrete made up of? Three things. Water, aggregate, so rock, gravel, sand, and a binding agent called Portland cement. What's the binding agent for church plants? It's established churches. It's churches that pray like your church, like Delta Church. It's churches that provide like Delta Church. It's churches that participate like Delta Church. And so we thank you for being a part of what God is doing and helping us lay a foundation for a church that lasts long after gone. If the Lord would call us elsewhere in 10 years, or the Lord would have us stay at Resurrection City Church, and he would tarry, and he would give me another 50 years on this earth. We'll be there as long as he has us. And we thank you for partnering to help us lay that foundation for a church that lasts. Why, why are we going to be in John chapter 10? Uh, what does this have to do with missions? Well, uh, I think uh, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, uh, uh, my prayer is that as we look at these uh, few verses in John chapter 10, that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, uh, would do something to our hearts. How many of you know that we're no different from the Israelites? We are often stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And so I pray that the Spirit of God would produce a joy in us, a joy that would result in obedience so that we would go out and we would be ambassadors for Christ, that we would live as missionaries. We serve a missionary God who sends his people out because God has always desired for all nations to see his glory and to know his glory. And this is done through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so so I think we're going to have a good time. Uh, Before I start, I did bring some new conviction cards, I mean prayer cards. I don't know if you have these. They're at the table in the back in the foyer. So grab one of those. Put it on your refrigerator or your Bible, wherever you eat the most. I hope you eat in both places. I hope you eat more so in the Word of God, because the living Word is here. So a few weeks ago, I was reading a book at bedtime to my boys. Uh, It was a book about Batman. My boys are all into it. I didn't grow up into the superhero kind of thing, but my boys are into it. And I was reading this book to the boys, and uh, uh, in the book, Batman is describing himself, and he says, I fight all crime and evil. I am a creature of the night. I am Batman. By the time I got to the next I am statement about Batman, I was already mumbling the theme music from the Batman show, the one with Adam West. You guys know what I'm talking about. Batman. Gotham City need not fear, but its villains should be very afraid, for I am out to get them. I am the protector of the weak and the helpless, the guardian of Gotham, the dark knight. I am Batman. 
My, my Batman voice tends to be the Lego Batman voice, if you didn't know that. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice all the I am statements in this book. And I am statements, um, I really like I am statements. I am statements tell us something about the one making the I am statement. Okay, that's obvious. But they also invite us into interaction and into relationship with the one making the I am statement. So if I were to say to you uh, right now that I'm hungry, you're going to take, I'm communicating something, uh, you have a few options. Either I uh, had a light breakfast, either I skipped breakfast, I skimped on breakfast, uh, or I'm just a, just a pig. I mean, you're thinking one of these things. But moreover, I'm telling you something about myself so that you're invited into uh, a relationship. There's a degree of relational activity happening there. In our text this morning, Jesus makes an I am statement. There are seven in the Gospel of John. I absolutely love them. John gives us seven I am statements, and he gives us seven signs or seven miracles. He tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, there's actually there's more miracles than the number of pages could contain in all of history. But he gives us seven signs and seven I am statements. Uh, what are those seven I am statements? Jesus tells us he's the bread of life. I love this. Jesus satisfies a greater hunger than that of your belly, right? Our souls have a hunger. Jesus tells us he's the light of the world, right? So we're born, and here's the judgment. Here's the judgment. The light came into the world, and we love the darkness instead. Not that we kind of like the darkness, like we have a dating relationship. We love darkness because our works are evil. But for those who follow Jesus, they no longer have to live in spiritual darkness, then Jesus tells us he's the good shepherd, that he knows his sheep. He, he calls them by name. They follow him. They hear his voice, his effectual call. The spirit of God allows us to hear his voice, and we follow him. He leads us. And then Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And he is the true vine, that if we abide in him, we too will have life. But this morning, we're going to look at Jesus as the door. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Have you ever begun a conversation with someone about the gospel and said, yeah, I know, listen, I know you think I'm weird. I know you th- going to church every Sunday over at Delta is kind of weird, but it gets weirder. I worship a God who calls himself a door. Let me tell you about that. I think what a great way to talk about the gospel. What a great way to be reminded of the gospel. Every time you walk and you pull when it says push very clearly and there's a decal and you feel really stupid because... That, remember the door. Ah, Jesus is the door. So this morning as we look at Christ's I am statement, um, I, I, think the, I, I, I pray that the Lord would just work in us. Every one of Jesus' I am statements would have shocked his original listeners. All of these ego, my statements. Every time he made these statements, his listeners would have thought about God. Probably more specifically, Moses' interaction with God. You remember that God revealed himself to Moses called Moses to go back to Egypt to bring his people out, lead them out of bondage for some 400 years of slavery. And Moses, afraid to go back to Egypt, really wants to know by whose authority should the people listen? What what authority does he have? Who do I tell them sent me? Why should they listen to me? And God says to Moses in Exodus 3, here's what he said, uh, Exodus 3, 14 and 15, Um, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. When those listening to Jesus, when, when they heard Jesus say, I am, they knew Jesus was saying he was God. Every I am statement reveals to us something about Jesus. It announces to his original audience and it announces to us that Jesus is God. And it shows us his sovereign power. Every I am statement, it reveals to us his divine nature and his divine power, his divine attributes. So I'm going to read our text. It's not that long. Uh, Would you join me? Let's read that again and then we'll commit our time to the Lord in prayer. And I pray this morning that just as I could hear the theme music of the Batman TV show, I pray that we would hear God's theme music, and that is the sweet sound of grace as we read the living word of God. Chapter 10, verse 7 to 10, hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We need God's help. Let's be honest about it. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, seeking uh, to be humble before you, but we recognize that there is often always a degree of pride in us, a, 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 a persistent hardening of the heart as we wage war against sin. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit right now would make our hearts pliable, that, uh, Lord, you would soften our hearts and that you would open our ears, that we might hear the living word of God that you would work in us your word like a, like a marinade working itself into meat, that you might saturate us, Lord, with your grace this morning, and that we might hear the sound of redemption, that we might hear the sound of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, work in us this morning, I pray, Heavenly Father. Our prayer also is that, Lord, you would give those amongst us who do not yet have ears to hear, that you would give them ears to hear, that you would open the ears of their hearts, that perhaps even sitting in these chairs for weeks and months and years, they have yet to walk through the door to receive Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would be gracious and that you would save souls today for your glory, we ask this. Lord, we don't gather alone today, and so we pray for the church universal. I think of my church, Resurrection City Church, and ask that you would be with Brother Joey Rosado as he brings the word of God before the people of God there. We pray, Lord, that you would be with the church of Jesus Christ here in Springfield, that, Lord, you would work in every church that's gathering this morning, and that your name would be magnified through the preaching and hearing of God's word. And we think of the church universal, and we want to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who know persecution, unlike, unlike we know it. We have yet to experience what brothers and sisters elsewhere experience. So give, give your saints strength by your spirit and through your word to stand firm and hold fast to the faith, even in the midst of persecution and death. Lord, we ask that you would grow your church, that your name would be known, 
um, that every tongue and every tribe and every nation would hear of your saving grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you work in us this morning? That is our prayer. Simple but yet profound work in us, we pray. Lift our eyes to Jesus. Hide me, your servant, behind the cross, I ask. All of these, all of these things we pray in the risen name of Jesus Christ. With the people of God saying, amen. As we focus our uh, attention this morning in verses 7 to 10, I think we're going to see three truths. Three truths this morning that by the grace of God, uh, God would work in us a joy and an obedience and we would go out and share with the world the good news that Jesus is a door, that we have a door. We have access to the Father. As we look at our text, we're going to see that we have a door. We're going to look at the door. We're going to look at those who enter the door, and we're going to look at the joy that comes from entering the door. Those are our three truths this morning. May God work in them. Let's look at the door. Just to lay a foundation for us, verses 1 through 5, Jesus reveals himself as a true shepherd. This is before he tells us that he's a good shepherd. He's, he's the true shepherd in contrast to these false shepherds. I have a friend who calls them um, wolves in shepherd's clothing. You've heard wolves in sheep's clothing. There are wolves in shepherd's clothing. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. Verses 1 through 10, he actually uses this term twice, thieves and robbers. Jesus tells us that his sheep listen to his voice. They don't listen to the voice of thieves and robbers. How do you know if someone's following Christ? Their ears don't itch. And when men who are wolves in sheep's clothing try to tickle their ears, they flee. They want nothing to do with this. We could tell a false shepherd by looking at their motives and methods. They are thieves and robbers. They try to sneak into the sheep pen. That's the imagery you get in verses 1 through 5. The sheep pen. All of humanity lives in this sheep pen, and thieves and robbers try to sneak in. They don't walk through the door. They try to climb under. They try to go over, and they mean harm to the flock of God. Their methods are corrupt, and their motives are questionable. Their methods and motives revolve around personal gain and personal glory, not the good of God's people and the glory of God himself. As Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, he warns us to be aware of false prophets, false teachers, who come in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits, motives, and methods. In verses 1 through 5, we can see Jesus' motives and methods. He enters the front gate. His actions were not deceitful, nor were they ever hidden. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 tells us, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. He's not hiding anything. As the founder and perfecter of our faith, he is obedient. He walks into the sheep pen of humanity, and he gives his life for his sheep. We do. In verses 1 through 5, John reveals to us that Jesus calls his sheep by name. His call is powerful. And it accomplishes all that Christ desires it to accomplish. That his sheep hear his voice, that his sheep follow him, and that he leads the sheep. All of humanity is in the sheep pen now. And Jesus doesn't call all sheep out. He calls his own sheep out. Those that the Father has already given him in eternity past. I think perhaps sometimes we wonder if Jesus is like a dodgeball captain in PE class. Unsure of who he's going to pick. And you're just hoping he'd pick you. And you're not very, very fast and... You know, maybe you're not very athletic and you're just hoping. He already knows who the Father's given him. Jesus already knows. And in fact, Acts 13, verse 48 tells us that as many were appointed to eternal life believed. So Jesus sees his sheep, 
in this sheep pen, all of humanity. He calls his sheep by name, his sheep hear him. They follow him, and he leads them. Now something happens in verse 6. People are confused. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. They would have understood sort of this imagery of a sheep pen. They got that. In fact, not all the sheep in the sheep pen were his. They were communal sheep pens where families would keep their sheep together. And there was often somebody at the gate guarding it, and they would come, and, and their sheep would hear their voice. A special call. They would hear the shepherd's voice, and their sheep would call him, uh, follow them. So in verses 7 through 10, Jesus expands upon these metaphors. We'd be wrong to think that he's on explaining verses 1 to 5. He's expanding with similar imagery. In 1 through 5, he calls his sheep out of the sheepfold by their name. Now in verses 7 to 10, Jesus is actually the door to a sheep pen. Not a sheep pen in which all of humanity resides, but the kingdom of God. A different sheep pen. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the means by which we can enter into his fold, enter into his flock. And so instead of calling his sheep out from among the sheep that are in this sheepfold, he is the very means, the gate by which his sheep enter this fold. And verses 7 and 9 here tell us that Jesus is the door of the sheep. Notice that Jesus does not say that he's one of the doors. He doesn't say, I'm the door in the rear of the sheep pen. I'm one of four you can choose from. You may enter any door and you will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. He says that he is the door. There's one door, the singular door to the kingdom of God, the sheepfold of God. One door to enter the kingdom of God. And there is one way. There is one door and the door is a person. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus here is speaking about the exclusivity of the gospel. He says it. In a very similar way, in another I am statement, it would be his sixth I am statement in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Same thing here, but he's liking himself to a door. There is one door, one way to be reconciled to God. All roads do not lead to God. Sure, the world would tell us that all roads lead to heaven, and in one regard, that's true. Romans 14, 11 tells us that every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. But it is only in Christ, only in Christ the door, that those who follow him will receive the blessedness, the grace of God, eternity with, with Christ. It is the exclusivity, the exclusive claims of Christ that cause people to hate Jesus and his sheep. Oh, you might say, well, we live in a pluralistic society here in America. Pastor Dave, I don't think you know what you're talking about. No one cares if you believe in Jesus, that you proclaim that he's the door, the way, the truth, and the life. That's not true. If that's what you think today, that's not true. It was just this summer that Senator Bernie Sanders, a man who nearly became president, attacked another man by the name of Russell Vaught, uh, President Trump's nominee to be director of the White House Office of Management and Budget. And who knows if he's still in there. He might have got canned. But Senator Sanders deemed Mr. Vaught unsuitable for office because he believed the teachings of Christ, that Jesus is the way to life. It's the exclusive claim of the gospel, the exclusive claim of Christ that makes it unlike any other religion. There has been no Christian who has ever been beheaded because he or she said there were multiple doors to the kingdom of God. No one has ever lost their life by saying there are many doors. They have lost their life because they have said Jesus is the door. 
So Jesus is the only way. He's the mediator between God and man. And this is made possible because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, the perfect sinless sacrifice. Paul tells the church planner Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom. And just as the blood of the Passover lamb was spread on the doorpost of the Israelites, this blood delivered them from death in Egypt. It is the blood of the door. Jesus Christ himself, by which men, women, and children are saved and delivered from sin, Satan, and death. The only way that you and I can be saved, the only way that we can inherit eternal life is to and enter the kingdom of God and experience the grace of God is by coming through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you thought perhaps there's another way, that being religious, that going to church on Sunday will make you okay. None of those things open the door. Jesus is the door. We enter the kingdom of God through Jesus. So we see that there's one door, but notice there is a door. There is a door. What if there were no door? Have you ever thought about this? What if there was no way for us to be in the presence of a holy, just, and righteous God? Jesus doesn't say there is no door. He says, I'm the door of the sheep in verse 7. And then again in verse 9, I am the door. Praise God that in his grace we have a door. That his sheep, as they're called by him, are able to enter into the safety of his fold. It is in the fold of God that the sheep of God find freedom and joy and food and pasture. What if there were no door? Have you ever asked that? Or we just assume, because we often assume that we deserve a lot of things in this life. Have you ever said to yourself, what if God never made a way through his son? What if there was never a door? What if God had sent his one and only son to pay the penalty of our sin? And what if Christ had come and rather than seeking obedience to the father and walking into the sheep gate, he was like a thief and robber. He sought his own personal gain, his own personal benefit. What if he had never gone to that cross, but instead bowed down to Satan in the wilderness? We would know nothing of hope. We would know nothing of hope. We would not know God's grace for it is in Christ and his life. His death, his burial, and resurrection, through his atoning work, we are able to be invited through the door of grace. It's because of Jesus. I love what Pastor Charles Spurgeon says, 19th century Pastor Charles Spurgeon. He speaks about the lack of a door. This is from a sermon entitled, The Door, preached on the Lord's Day evening, June 15th, 1879. Listen to what Pastor Charles Spurgeon says about the lack of a door. The house of mercy without a door would have been a house of misery to us. Look at this picture if your eye can perceive it. The city that lieth four square, that mighty city whose pinnacles tower on high, so lofty that the height is as great as the breadth, and the breadth breadth is the same as the length. Her foundations are of precious stones, and her twelve gates are priceless pearls. Can your eye gaze even for a moment? On that brilliance that outshines the sun? Can you hear the sound of the harpers harping with their harps within that city whose streets are of pure gold? But suppose that there was no door. 
that our spirits had to go flying with awful beating of weary wing, round and round and round, that solid wall, but never finding a gate where we could enter. What hope would there be for a soul shut out from the city of the perfect, the home of the blessed, because there was no door of entrance? Yet there would not have been any door if it had not been for Christ. Our sins had, if it were, walled up God and shut him in and walled us up and shut us out. There would have been for us no going into God, nor any coming out from God to us, had it not been for Christ the mediator through whom we draw near to God, because in him God has drawn near to us. See then the necessity for this door, and blessed be his holy name. See how Christ meets this necessity. We needed a door by which we could get to God, and Jesus says, I am the door. Praise God, we have a door. Praise God that we have a door. Praise God for his grace. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, our mediator. This is an exclusive claim of the gospel, that Jesus is the door, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you ever told anybody that there's a door? Have you ever told anybody that there's a door, that they're separated from God, the presence of a holy God? And that God in his grace has made a way that there is one door and that door is Jesus. This is our command. This is our call as missionary people to tell people that God has made a way. That in Christ, God has made a way for us to be in his presence. That we are separated, but God has made a way. Let us praise him that there's a door. Let us tell people that there's a door. And now let's look at those who enter the door. Verses 8 through 9. We're going to focus really to 9a. As Jesus had previously said in verse 1, those who seek to harm God's sheep were these wolves in shepherds' clothing, these thieves and robbers. Again, in verse 8, Jesus references the thieves and robbers again. Now Jesus states that all who came before him, this is interesting, all who came before him are thieves and robbers. Is Jesus here referring to the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they came before him. Is he referring to the prophets, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel? No, these men actually spoke as God led them. They were not thieves and robbers, though they came before Jesus. Jesus is once again referring to false teachers, the likes of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and false messianic figures that had already popped up during this time. While the contrast between the true shepherd and the thieves and robbers continues, now with the door, the thieves and robbers, so we have a door and we have thieves and robbers, Jesus is not entering that sheep pen through the front gate and calling his sheep out. Again, here, he is the door. He is the gate that he allows entry into his kingdom. And what does Jesus say about those who enter the door? Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone enters, enters by me, he may be saved. He will be saved. He will be saved. If anyone, if anyone. Here, Jesus does not say that everyone may enter the gate. He's not saying everyone may enter the gate. We know that Christ's sheep are those whom the Father and eternity past have given to the Son. Jesus calls them. They hear his voice. They follow him. He leads them. How do you know if one is saved? Can you see evidence? 
What sort of fruit should you look for? Are they following Jesus? His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Are you following Jesus this morning? Have you heard the voice of God? John 6, 37, Jesus tells us, all that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then again in 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So it is those sheep that the Father has given the Son that will come to him. But notice, please don't lose sight of this. Jesus says, If anyone, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There is no sign above the door as there were in the Jim Crow era. Whites only. Blacks only. There's no sign above the door that reads, you must be perfect or for the wealthy only or for the morally pure. It does not matter what your nationality is. You need not be American. All races are welcome. Rich and poor are welcome. Good works and morality and wealth aren't what opens the door to salvation. Being born into a Christian family doesn't open the gate of mercy. It doesn't open the gate of grace. Your parents can't open the door to freedom. They couldn't open it for themselves, and they cannot open it for you. And friends, you cannot open the the door to the house of mercy yourself. The door is opened by grace. This is the sovereign work of God. We are welcomed into the kingdom of glory, into the church, into the household of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls his sheep. This is the gracious gift of God. Paul tells us, the believers in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So saints, you did not open the door. God's grace saved you. You did not open the door of mercy. We have no reason to boast in and of ourselves. Our boasting is in Jesus. Saints, we did not open the door of grace. And listen to this. We cannot, though many try, keep it shut so that others may not enter. Get that, right? Many of us think, okay, I know I didn't open the door to the house of mercy, but we often try to keep the door shut so that others may not enter. Jesus warns the Pharisees of doing such a thing. In Matthew 23, 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Our place is not to barricade the door, to pride ourselves in our morality. We are to freely invite others to enter the kingdom of God. This summer, our church did a lot of things in the neighborhood that were free, and we held free signs up, free cookout. We even did free prayer. Well, that's weird. We mean free prayer. Well, you can go to St. Hyacinth and you pay $3 so that you can pray so that God, your deceased one will still be in God's good graces. So we thought the word free was important. Listen, that's what we do. We're simply holding a sign displaying the, the gift of God, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. We invite people to experience the grace of God and receive the free gift of salvation. Inviting people to the banquet table of Christ. So we see here that there's a door, and we have a door, and all kinds of sinners may enter the door, but they actually have to enter. We have to enter. We have to respond to God's grace. We have to repent and believe the gospel. You can't buy a ticket to get in. 
Being unsaved and putting money in the offering plate as it passes before you doesn't save you. The gift of God's grace is available to those who enter the gate. You must enter. If anyone enters, we must respond in repentance and faith. Respond to God's grace. It is not enough to merely be near the door of mercy, sitting right next to it. That doesn't save you. We must respond, and repentance is a, it is a good gift of God, a result of his grace. Listen, listen to what Thomas Watson says about repentance. This is the idea of entering. How do we enter into the gate? We repent and believe the gospel. We fall upon Christ. Tom, Thomas Watson says, repentance is a grace required under the gospel. Some think it legal, but the first sermon Christ preached, indeed the first word of his sermon was repent. And his farewell that he left when he was going to ascend was that repentance should be preached in his name. That's Luke 24, verse 47. The apostles all beat upon this string. They went out and preached that men should be saved, Mark 6, 12. Repentance is pure gospel grace. The covenant of works allowed no repentance. There it was, sin and die. Repentance came in by the gospel. Christ has purchased us with his blood so that repenting sinners shall be saved. The law required personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. It cursed all who could not come up to this. Cursed is everyone that does not continue to do all things that are written in the book of the law, Galatians 3.10. It does not say, he that does not obey all things, let him repent. Instead, it says, let him be cursed. Thus, repentance is a doctrine that has been brought to light only by the gospel. We must enter. We must respond to the gracious gift of God and enter into the kingdom of God through the door of mercy. There are people, I fear there are people who come to church every Sunday who sit on the front pew but have never walked through the door. They have never responded to God's grace. Being close to the door, sitting uh, on the front porch in front of the door, knocking on the door doesn't save you. Singing songs, giving tithe, speaking Christianese, taking communion, going to Bible study does not open the door to the house of mercy. Sadly, many people will spend eternity in hell who spent this life looking at the door, but never entering through the door. They were near the door like Nicodemus, but they never responded to God's grace. You must respond to God's gracious gift. The command of Christ in Scripture is rise, take up your bed, and walk. We are called to respond. Scripture is clear that we must believe and receive Jesus. What a tragedy to work as a craftsman and to spend your entire life sanding the door, painting the door, cleaning the door, putting plants next to the door, sitting in front of the door, sitting beside the door, and never entering the door through the door yourself watching your spouse enter the door, watching your kids enter the door, but you yourself never repented and believed the gospel. Have you come to God in repentance? Have you responded to his gracious gift? The gospel will do one of two things to you. It'll soften your heart or harden it. You can't sit here every Sunday and hear Pastor Jonathan preach and think that the gospel is not doing anything to you. It will either soften you or harden you. I pray this morning that you would hear the word of God and you would enter through Christ. Have you cried out to him? Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve your wrath. Save me. I come to you as a blind beggar, nothing with nothing but empty hands and a sinful heart. 
Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus who paid for my sin, who bore your wrath so that I might enter into the household of mercy. Thank you that in him I am set free. Thank you that you've made a door away for me to be with you, my creator. Thank you for sending your son. Friends, there is a door. Jesus is the door. Have you ever told anybody about the door? Have you ever called them to respond? We're very good at throwing the gospel out. Every time I go fishing, and I got a kayak because I'm trying to care for my soul, and I drive 40 minutes outside the city, and I'm kayaking, and there's old airplanes flying over me, and there's Ikea in the distance. And I think to myself, every time I fish off that kayak, man, I don't know how to fish. I'm an awful fisherman. Lord, if I never catch anything in, in this lake, let me catch men. Make me a better fisher of men. And I realized many years ago that what I would do is throw the gospel out there, but I never asked people to respond and enter the door. I never set the hook. I never pulled back on it. I'm not talking about putting somebody in an Armenian armbar and making them say yes. What I'm saying is telling them that God has given them a way to be in his presence is through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And anyone, anyone, if they enter, may be saved and have eternal life. Find rest. Find peace. Experience the grace of God. Go in and out and find pasture. Are you calling people to enter through the door? Anyone may enter. I think a lot of us, if we're like honest, I, went, I had to go through security at O'Hare. You know, everybody knows post 9-11, airports are stressful now, Right? TSA agents, blue gloves, patting you down. You're putting all your stuff in the bins, the gray bins. Do you know why those TSA agents wear those blue gloves? It's not because they're going to pat you down. It's because the bins have never been sanitized. I'm convinced of it. Those things are, they got Ebola. You got to wonder if you, you're getting half undressed. Do I have to take my belt off? You're pulling it off. You're taking your boots off. You're taking everything off, passing it through, passing it through. I think a lot of us think that that's what we do with our sin. We just fill these gray bins. We just load, load everything up in there, and we pass them through, and then we're there at that checkpoint. We're there at the door to the kingdom of God. We've done everything we could on our own. We freed ourselves from all the big sins, but we're worried like you might have forgot a quarter in your pocket or something, and you're patting yourself down a hundred times, and you got to stand in the thing now, and it scans you that somehow God will find some hidden sin in you, that you've taken care of the, re- the big stuff, but then an alarm will go off and you won't be able to enter in. That's not what scripture tells us. We repent and we believe. We forget those bends. That's not what we do. We walk through and Jesus, he strips us of all of these things. No alarm is going off. Mind you, as followers of Jesus Christ, what often happens, we walk through that, okay, we've trusted him. Forget those bends. We still think on the other side of it, there's going to be alarm. And we're going to be told to walk back through the other side. And maybe this time we won't be allowed to come back through. If you're thinking that way, you're trusting in your works, not in the grace of God. We simply enter through the door. So we know that there's a door. What if there wasn't a door? Praise God that there's a door. If anyone enters, all kinds of people, the worst of sinners, people like you, people like me, can enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. But now let's look at the joy that comes through entering the door, through the door. God grants all those who enter through the door, he grants them rest. He says that for those who believe and receive Jesus, Jesus gives freedom and forage and food. 
This is the gospel of grace. This is the gospel of grace. Jesus in verse 9 says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out. That doesn't mean he's kicking you out. Wrong way to think. It's this picture of grace and find pasture. We have this life in Christ, living in Christ. When you trust Jesus, when he saves you, you are freed. He gives you life and life abundantly. Freedom. There is freedom found in Christ. When you enter into Jesus, he delivers you. You are freed from sin. You are freed from Satan. All because of the grace of God found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Instead of being an enemy of God, you are now adopted by God. You are welcome to enter his fold. No longer having to carry the weight of sin and guilt and shame. There are no gray bins. You understand that. That stuff's on the outside. We're in the kingdom of God now. The minute you try to strip things out of your own pocket and out of your own life, apart from the work of God, you're trusting in legalism. You're trusting in morality. You're trusting in something other than God's grace because it's the grace of God by which you enter and in the kingdom of God, in the household of God, in the house of mercy. It is the same door that welcomed you in that continues to strip you of the sin that kept you out in the first place. You're given liberty in Christ. You can go in and out. The good shepherd will protect you even when you are out in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus, the door, our good shepherd, is now with you. He's with his flock. He's with us. And as we go, we are called to make disciples. We are commanded by Christ to make disciples, to tell others that there is a door, and the door's name is Jesus, that there is salvation found in no one else but in Jesus, and all who enter will be saved. There will be granted freedom from sin. They, too, will find pasture. I love that language, that we will receive pasture. This is the grace of God. What a gracious God we have. What a gracious God we have. Not only does God deliver his sheep from his wrath, God looks upon his sheep because of what Christ has done, and he sees the goodness of his son Jesus in us. And we have life and pasture. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. This is the same thing Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who labor and are weary laden, and I will give you rest. This is the rest, the pasture we find in Christ, a beautiful picture of his grace in Jesus, the continuing provision and grace of God that we receive now in the kingdom of God, now in the sheepfold of God. He loves us abundantly and provides for his sheep. And while the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came, Jesus came, that we might have life and have life abundantly. Yeah, I do fear that many of us are always waiting for some alarm to go off, like the security. We think some underpaid, undertrained, blue-gloved TSA agent is going to come over and pat us down, and we're going to get booted out. That doesn't happen when God welcomes you in by his grace. It's his grace that also sustains you, and we remain and abide in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this morning, if you're here and you're standing in front of the door, if you're standing beside the door, if you're standing near the door, but yet you have yet to enter into the door, will you repent and receive Christ this morning? Just simply fall upon him. Receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ and enter into the door. It's not your own steps. It's not your own effort by which you walk through the door. No one is calling you to run through the door to like a linebacker to just bust through the door. Jesus is calling you to repent and receive the free gift of God. Receive salvation this morning. 
If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and by the grace of God you have already entered through the door, you are in the household of mercy, the kingdom of God. You are experiencing the rest of God. Continue to rejoice that we have a door. Every time, every time you begin to think and fear that you might be kicked out, will you rejoice that God has made a way for you, that Jesus is the door, that he's welcomed you in, and that you are in. You are in the sheepfold of God. And will you go here, leave here as missionaries? And will you share with your neighbors, your coworkers, your spouse, your children, that we worship a God who says that he's the door, and if anyone enters, we will receive life, they will receive life, and they will go in and out and find pasture. Would you do that this morning? Let me close this in prayer, and we're going to celebrate Jesus, the door of the sheep, by taking communion. We're going to celebrate the body of Christ bruised, the blood of Christ shed for us. But let's first pray and thank God that he made a way for us to be in his presence. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the door. We thank you that Jesus reconciles us to you. And that if anyone, all kinds of people, sinners like me and sinners like these folks, can be redeemed and bought by the blood of Christ, that it is your sovereign work that does something in our hearts by which we're able to enter through Christ and find rest and find pasture and find joy in the sheepfold of God. Thank you that the house of mercy has a door. Thank you that our efforts cannot open the door, but it is Jesus who invites us into the kingdom of God. Lord, if there is anyone among us who has yet to enter the kingdom of God, will you give their, them ears to hear? Will you do a heart transplant and give, replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh? Only you can do this. Salvation is a sovereign work of the Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give new hearts today and that people in this room would hear the good shepherd calling them to enter into the kingdom of God and they would respond in faith and repentance, the very faith that you give them to respond. And for those of us who know the joy of being welcomed into the kingdom of God, the household of God, the pasture of God, Lord, may we rejoice that we have a door, but let us not keep that joy and excitement to us. Let us go out and with every bit of our breath proclaim to the world that there is a door to the household of God. The house of mercy has a door. His name is Jesus Christ. Lord, give us strength as ministers of mercy, preaching a message of reconciliation, as your ambassadors going out, proclaiming the message of the king that there is a door. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness to open up our cowardly mouths and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus made a way for us to be in the presence with the Father. We pray and ask these things in the risen name of Christ with the people of God saying, amen.